1: to the Coachable Podcast. Around here, we believe that life is the ultimate training ground for finding out what you are truly made of. I'm your host, Tori Gordon, high-performance coach and breathwork facilitator. And each week, I share intimate conversations and inspirational stories from some of the world's most successful people. It's time to stop standing on the sidelines of your life and get your head and your heart back in the game. So take a seat, grab a pen, because you're gonna wanna take notes as I pull back the curtain on the tools, resources, and inspiration that you need to unlock your inner champion. What's up, you guys? Welcome back to the Coachable Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode. In this episode, I am going to talk to Terry Cole. I'm so excited to have her on the show. Terry is a licensed psychotherapist, global relationship and empowerment expert, and the author of Boundary Boss, the essential guide to talk true, be seen, and finally live free. For over two decades, Terry has worked with a diverse group of clients that's included. Everyone from stay-at-home to moms to celebrities and Fortune 500 CEOs, and she truly has a gift for making complex psychological concepts accessible and actionable so that clients and students can achieve sustainable change. She inspires over 450,000 people weekly through her blog, social media platforms, signature courses, and her popular podcast, The Terry Cole Show. And you can learn all about her at TerryCole.com. This episode is so amazing because we dive into the topic of codependency and how we can unlearn our codependent habits, how it shows up in our relationships, and what we're losing out on as a result of having these types of codependent patterns in our lives. So this is one that you don't want to miss. Whether you are single, dating, or in a relationship, there's something for you. And Terry is so good at explaining this in a way that's digestible and tangible and also actionable. So tune in and make sure if you're watching this on YouTube to subscribe to the channel, hit the bell for notifications. And if you're on Spotify or iTunes or wherever you get your podcast, thank you so much for tuning in. Please do me a huge favor. If you love the show and you are grateful for what you're learning here, please give it a five-star rating and review. This so helps me. And I just want to say thank you in advance for doing that for me. Without further ado, let's jump into this week's episode. Before we jump into this week's episode, I do want to say thank you to our sponsor Organifi, which is a line of organic superfood blends that offer plant-based nutrition and high-quality ingredients with less than 3 grams of sugar. I absolutely love Organifi because, as you guys know, I'm traveling these days across the country, and I need something that's convenient but works. And with their uh, incredible travel size packets, this works really, really well for me being on the go. You can get their Organifi Greens, their Organifi Red, or what I love, the Organifi Gold, and make sure that not only does it taste good, but you're getting the superfoods that are essential for your diet to reduce stress and reset your morning into your routines. I absolutely love all of their products. So if you go to Organifi.com slash Tori Gordon and use the code Tori20, you will get 20% off all of your order. Terry, thank you so much for being on the show today. I'm thrilled to have you and excited to have this conversation.
2: Thank you for having me, Tori. I'm so pumped.
1: Yeah, I love your work and there's so much that I want to dive in with you. Um, One specific thing in regards to your work around boundaries and codependency and how these two are so almost inextricably linked and what we find in our, our relationships can be pretty difficult and challenging for most of us. I know you work with high performing, high achieving women, significantly and as part of of your um kind of audience and there are a lot of those that listen to this show as well as men too so we can all learn something today but i'd love for you to just start by explaining really giving a working definition to boundaries and what they are and why they're so important
2: sure um the way that i teach boundaries is that it's like your own personal rules of engagement So we're letting people know what's okay with us and what's not okay with us and what your boundaries are comprised of, your preferences, your desires, your limits, and your deal breakers, like your non-negotiables. And it's one thing you have to know what they are, and you also have to have the ability to communicate them when you so choose. So that is my working definition of boundaries.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. So how do we start to identify and know what our needs are and Mm -hmm. what our boundaries are, especially for those of us who've maybe grown up, whether it was in a mesh codependent homes or have relationships where, We're really concerned about how our partner feels and we want to make sure that we're always, you know, in their good graces and they think of us as a good person. It can feel really challenging to say no a lot of times or say, hey, this is a this is a non-negotiable for me um, from fear of rejection. So how do we even start to know what it is that we need and what those are for us when we've been so hyper focused on other people for so long?
2: Oh, yes, Tori. What a good question. Well, the first thing that you can do and listeners can do right now is you can, in your mind, do a resentment inventory. So if we're honest with ourselves, even if we wouldn't say it out loud, there are people, relationships, circumstances where we are twisting ourselves up like a pretzel to accommodate others, whether they're asking us to or not, right? That we're going to get to that when we get to codependency and overfunctioning and over giving and becoming better. But when you get down to, because people ask me all the time, how do I know where I need boundaries? How do I even know? Well, you start with what is causing you pain in what relationships do you feel resentful? Usually that means a need is going unmet, but also a boundary is either going unexpressed or being you know, is being unrespected, um, even if you did express it.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's so true. And I, I think that that's challenging for for a lot of us to, to like really know where, like you said, in our lives, do we even need it? But just starting to begin by asking ourselves, where am I in pain is so important. And I think we'll kind of shine a flashlight on those areas really quickly. Right. Um, and I think I'm curious, you know, about how boundaries correlate with, um, a need to, to please Mm -hmm. and our, our desire to make sure that, that people like us and that they're happy with us all the time. Um, how are these connected?
2: Well, let's start with why we relate to boundaries the way that we do. So if you were raised as a woman, this happens for men too, but most in particular, at least in the U S North America, Europe, because I have people from all over the world in my courses. And it's like this literally everywhere from United Arab Emirate to <laughs> New York city, that what did we learn? We were all raised to be good girls, to be nice, to not make waves. Don't be a troublemaker, right? Turn that frown around. Um, if you can help someone else, you should. Don't be greedy. Don't be bitchy. Don't be bossy. If we're assertive, there's negativity to that. It's we learned to. I mean, I say this, and it makes me sad to say it, but it's true. Most of us were raised and praised for being self-abandoning codependents.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely relate to that because when I've been doing this own exploration within myself and the relationships that I've been in and in my childhood as well, I think about love and the working definition of love that I had as a child and how that's, um, how I brought that into relationships as an adult and kind of redefining that now. Um, and over the past several years, but for a lot of us, whether it's from our parents or culturally in society, from movies, we get this story that love equals sacrifice. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. even in religion, it's Mm -hmm. taught to us. And so it's sort of ingrained in us to think, I have to self-abandon and sacrifice my needs and my desires for those that I love. And I can see absolutely how and why you say, go to the pain in your life because, and also the resentment, because there is for so many of us bitterness and resentment for all the ways that we have given And also feel like we have been left kind of like, what about asking? What about us?
2: Right. But here's the thing. We may be asking what about us, but who we should be asking that question to is ourselves. Because this limiting paradigm around what love looks like about what it could be, that is something we have to change in our own lives, right? We need to change because all of us have what I call a downloaded boundary blueprint. So this is basically in your unconscious mind. So imagine I like to call it the basement of your mind all the way down here. And so much of what I do in the book and so much of what I do in my courses is we're bringing this material from down here to the main part of the house, but what your downloaded boundary blueprint, I want you to visualize it like an architectural blueprint for a house that someone else designed could be centuries ago and these paradigms these beliefs these familial norms these cultural norms about how it's supposed to be they get handed down from generation to generation and it's our job and what i'm teaching you in boundary boss is how do we slowly but surely reveal what is in that blueprint and then make the changes so that how we're relating to boundaries is aligned with what we want in our lives. Because Tori, the most, I think the most tragic thing with having really disordered boundaries, especially what we're talking about, which is too porous boundaries, meaning too malleable based on, you know, we, we want external validation. We're afraid to be rejected. We don't want people to be mad. We don't want to be disliked is that when we are saying yes, when we really want to say no, And and when we are not asserting our preference, even a simple preference, because we've learned that to be the cool girl, that you just want to be like, oh, you know me, I'm easy. Whatever's good with you guys. Again, avoiding conflict that we think that that is a way of staying safe, staying um, in the, in the crew, you know, but what really happens is when you're saying yes, when you want to say no, the people in your life do not know you. Yeah. They don't. Yeah, And how tragic is that, that the people we want to be closest to, how can anyone authentically love us if we never allow them to authentically know us?
1: Right. Well, do you think that is a byproduct of not knowing ourselves?
2: I think it is a byproduct of the way that we were trained. And I think that you do know yourself. You just haven't taken a moment to tap into that knowing. And you know, when people talk about authentic self, as I've been a psychotherapist for 25 years, it's like, I always, it always kind of rubs me the wrong way. When people are like, you will discover your authentic self. And I'm all like, that's not actually how it happens. You have, there's nature and nurture. You have a particular way that you are naturally, but then we have decisions to make. Am I going to be someone, who tells the truth. Am I going to be someone who makes excuses or tells white lies to avoid being uncomfortable momentarily to be unknown for all of eternity? Like that sounds very dramatic, but think about it. It's really knowing that you're not that fragile. And that you do have choices to make about who you will be in this world, but also, most importantly, in your relationships. Because you know, you know your friends. I know my friends. I know my friends who placate me. I know my friends who say yes when they really want to say no because they're such a people pleaser. I know I can't count on them because I know they're going to find a way to cancel that shit at the last minute because right. they couldn't just say no. Mm. And so there is something so. Like your people in your life, if you are that people pleaser, they know that I know the people in my life who I can count on. Right. If I have a friend, I, I tell a story in the book about my friend, Elizabeth D'Alto, and I was inviting her to go to Guatemala. I was doing like a yoga retreat or something. I was like, Hey man, want to go to Guatemala in May? And she was like, nah, I hate Guatemala and I hate hot weather. But anyway, how you doing? Or like, or she was like, but I love you. See ya. Like just, I don't have to waste a lot of bandwidth on that friendship because she's trustworthy emotionally, and she will just say, I don't want to, and has faith. I'm not going to be offended by that because I'm not, what did I build Guatemala? Of course, I'm not going to be offended. So I think that there are decisions to be made when it comes to our authentic self, and it can be a slow process. So just to elaborate quickly on how, how can it be easier to say no when we want to? Cause I find that this is a really good place for people to start. If you have been kind of, um, Insta yes person and have felt, you know, kind of trained that way or felt like that was the right way to be that for the next seven days, no giving people immediate answers for anything. Anything someone asks of you, even if they're inviting you somewhere, if they're whatever, we're going to start to train people that you're going to think about it. You're going to check with your partner or your friend or your work schedule or whatever you need to do. And instead of, um, in a reactionary way, just saying, Oh, it sounds good. Sure. You're going to start normalizing saying, Oh, Hey, I have a 24 hour decision-making policy, So I will let you know tomorrow. It could be tongue in cheek. It could be kind of cute. You could say, oh, hey, no, I need, I need to check with John to see what our schedule is. I need to check with this person. Um, I'm not sure if I'm available again. If someone says, can you help me with this project? And you know, you can't, you don't have to say no right there. You say, uh, you know, what, l- let me check and see what I have going on. And I'll go back to you tomorrow because it is so much easier to give an authentic no, when you haven't already given a reactionary yes.
1: That's so true. I do an exercise with my clients where we just practice saying no and someone makes a request and all they're able to say is no. And they're not with no follow-up, no justification, no explanation, and no apology. Because And, and really the intention is just to sit with the sensation and the feeling that that creates in you. And it's so interesting, the takeaways from that exercise, because immediately people can notice their desire to explain, to Mm over-apologize and, um, and that I think leads into that kind of discussion around codependency because Mm -hmm. we we want them, the the other person to, to feel okay. And we want them to understand us. And we're, we think by justifying or explaining ourselves, we're going to be seen or understood, um, which is a core desire. Yet we're in these relationships where we continually feel misunderstood Mm -hmm. and unseen.
2: All right. So let's start with When we say no, I love that. I love that um, exercise that you do. It's great. So when we say no, being so mindful of not needing to build a case for your no. Now, there's a huge difference between convincing someone that you have a right to say no and providing context in the relationships that really matter to you. So if I have a friend who has an event on a Tuesday night, but I have an early morning presentation that's super important to me, I may say, I love you. I'm so sad. I can't make Tuesday night because I have an early morning presentation on Wednesday. Make sure someone films it and let's, let's do brunch this weekend. I want to watch it. I'm so excited. You're going to be great. Break legs. That is providing context because If it's someone I love and I didn't have that meeting, I would make the effort to be at something that was important to them. So I don't want to just say no, because I want them to more deeply understand me, as you had said, and I don't want them to think that I'm sitting home watching Netflix, which is why I'm not going. So context and convincing are very important and moving into let's move this into the codependency stuff because there is such you were right when you said it's inextricably connected because the very nature of codependency is disordered boundaries if we were to break it down like what is it that's what it is disordered emotional physical mental boundaries that's that's what it is so i'm going to give you my definition of codependency, because I think that a lot of people talk about it. Um, but I think there's a lot of confusion about it. So I say that codependency is being overly invested in the feeling states, the decisions, the outcomes, the circumstances of the people in your life to the detriment of your internal peace your physical, financial, emotional well-being. So the clarification there is we're all lovers, right? Of course, we're invested in the happiness of the people we love. That's normal. Doing it to the degree that it is negatively impacting your inner peace, that is codependent. So if you're wondering and you're like, I don't know, am I, am I not? I want you to think about a scenario. Let's say your best friend calls and she's, she's in a situation right now. She's crying. She's upset. She's telling you about something. I want you to think about how quickly your best friend's problem has become your problem in a real way where it's almost like you can't delineate between what is the urgency within you to fix? what's happening for your friend that will tell you how codependent you are because it's one thing to be compassionate to say how can I best support you right now and it's another to be the way I used to be where I'm literally simultaneously googling what to do I was like I just texted my friend who works at that place she knows a person like right I can't I can't even tell myself it's just right such a compulsion But here's the thing. You know what really moved the needle for me, Tori, honestly, in my personal life, my actual life, because I was such a codependent. It was ridiculous in my 20s. Tell us. Oh, yeah, yeah. That (laughs) I had my therapist, who was so amazing at the time, helped me understand. I'll quickly tell a situation. One of my sisters was in a bad situation. She was an addict at that point. She was with an abusive person living in the woods without running water. Like, it was terrible. It's just just the crackhead nightmare basically. And of course I was, I was the hero child in the family. So I was successful, had money, was doing my thing was I had tried to throw a lot of money at her circumstance in the past. It didn't seem to help, but she would call and vent to me and I would get off the phone and cry to my husband who was my boyfriend then, you know, all the things. And I remember saying to my therapist, Bev, I was like, what am I going to do? And she was like, um, excuse me. And I was like, what am I, I mean, she can't stay doing what she's doing. Why? I don't understand. And she was like, Terry, let me ask you a question. What makes you think, you know, what lessons your sister needs to learn in this lifetime? And I was like, dude, well, I mean, we could both agree. She doesn't need to do it with an abusive crackhead. And she was like, no, I don't know what needs to happen in her life. And neither do you, but do you know what's really happening for you? And I was like, clearly no. So can you tell me? And she's, I was like, clue me in. And she said, you've worked, you've been in therapy for 20 years. You've worked really hard to create a pretty harmonious life. Your sister's dumpster fire of a life is really messing with your peace. So what you really want to do is fix her so you can be out of pain. And I was like, wow, that makes me so much less mother Teresa, but yes, correct. That is exactly what's going on. And this brought me to the realization, A, that I was not responsible for my sister's, my sister getting better. That was her life, not mine. And that I had the right to step back, which I did and say, I love you, but I can't talk to you all the time while you stay in this situation. But if you ever want to leave, I'm still your person. Nine months later, she called. She's like, I'm totally ready. Got my car, picked her up, let her stay at my little cabin lake house thing that I had, you know, and she's been sober ever since. And that was decades ago at this point. But what I learned, and this is where codependency comes in. When we're being codependent, we are centering ourselves in the middle of that person's problem, their issue, what we think is their problem. It's not about them. It's about us. And it is definitely a covert or overt bid for control. We feel chaotic. We don't, we don't want our friend to be with the bad person. We're, we're, we don't want our spouse who is maybe drinks too much and didn't go to work. We don't want them to get fired. So we lie when the person calls and is like, Oh, is he really homesick? Do you know? So yes, there's an enabling like element of that. But what I also, one last thing I want to say about this is that another thing that I found in my therapy practice is that women in my crew, the high functioning women just did not ID with being codependent. They were like, girl, are you smoking a crack? I, hi, everyone's dependent <laughs> on me. I'm making all the money. I'm doing all sure. the things. It's no. And I was like, oh my God, none of my clients actually know what codependency is. Right. So I made up a new name based on my demographic, which is high functioning codependency. And all of them were like, oh, well, that's different. Yeah, definitely. Right. So, <laughs> so you basically make it look easy. Right? Mm. It's it's like, you know, what do they say? Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers, right? Ginger Rogers did everything he did except backwards and in heels. Mm-hmm. That's what high functioning codependents do. Everyone thinks you have it together, but you are still doing things for others that they can and should be doing for themselves. You are kind of last on your own list. And I'm not talking about green juicing and going to soul cycle, right? Because those are things that are on the they're really not the self-care list, even though they are, do you know what I mean? Like, Yeah.
1: yeah. It's almost yeah. more pretentious to be seen in a certain way that I'm taking care of myself than yeah. actually doing it for the purposes of taking care of myself.
2: Yes. It is optically <laughs> desirable, but right. that's not what I mean. I mean, dealing with your mental wellness. I mean, learning these skills. So anyway, that was, that was the longest way around the barn about codependency, but it is something that ties in exactly as you said, to having disordered boundaries, even if you make it look easy, it is still dysfunctional and sucks up too much of your bandwidth, but it also is really negative bad for your relationships.
1: Well, there's so much that you just said that I want to unpack and you just gave such a great explanation and I can um, hear several things in in what you said about the story about your sister, which is... There's this weird, uh, like, dynamic between almost going into like this rescuer, rescuer, savior complex of needing to like, I want them to be okay, and I have the resources and the means to make sure they're okay, and mm-hmm. I know what's best for them. Yes, like almost this egoic belief that like I know what they need and I know what's best, and from that, and it, I think for a lot of us, we think it's admirable. We think it's noble. We think we're doing the right thing. And so we've convinced ourselves that we're being a good sister in that regard. And we're, we're, or we're being loving and we don't, it's, it's harder for us to see that this is actually manipulation or control in that way. Yes. How yes. can we start to notice that within ourselves and ask ourselves, okay, am I doing this from a place of, of love or because, and because I, Am I doing this because I want to make myself feel better yeah. about her situation mm-hmm. um, because that's tricky to start to decipher why we're actually doing the things that we're doing right and kind of unlearning these myths about codependency that's like oh. I could never be like, you either are or you aren't. It seems like there's kind of a spectrum that Without a doubt. we fall on.
2: Without a doubt. So how do we know, right? First of all, allow yourself to feel the relief that other people's circumstance, situations, and emotions are not and cannot be your responsibility. I was so relieved one my therapist, I was like, but won't I be a bad sister? And she was like, no, Tara, you're bashing your head against a stone wall because you cannot be responsible for your sister's choices. You're just trying to be, but it is impossible. And even if you do, it won't stick unless it comes from her. But I felt relieved like, oh, it's unhealthy to do that. I don't have to do that. So I think a good way for listeners to visualize this is getting really clear about what is on your side of the street and what is on the other person's side of the street. When a friend comes, the first rule of not being codependent is stop auto advice giving right now. Stop it. No, someone comes with a problem. You let them talk. You say, so where are you at? What do you think you should do? What are you feeling? They go, I don't know. What do you think? And then go, well, wait a minute, but you do know. So let's, we, we ask expansive questions. We have faith that our friends are the boss of themselves and that they're fully competent and capable of making their own decisions. And when you really get that you're doing all of this to avoid your own life, to avoid your own internal experience, to avoid your own growth, because it feels better to like know what someone else should do to be like, I have that skill now. It doesn't mean if you want to add value to someone else's life, it doesn't mean every time you want to add value, you're being codependent. It's about respect and consent. And we say, I say to my grown kids, hey, I have a thought about what you were talking about. Are you open to hearing it? (laughs) Sometimes they are. Sometimes they're like, I'm good, mom. Thanks. You know? So it's really not assuming that you know, and it's having faith. How about assume that the people you love are also capable?
1: I'm so glad you made that. Um, Yeah. I'm so glad glad you made that distinction too, that not every time that we try to add value to somebody is it codependency and asking for Mm -hmm. consent like asking for permission to speak into a situation or ask if they even want our advice um is is really important because a lot of times we just yeah we make assumptions that they they need to know and they want to know what we have to have to say and think about it and i'll be honest and and vulnerable for a moment about my own life and how i've kind of started to trace this back to childhood for myself which was. I think um, I started playing sports when I was really, really young. About five years old, I started got, – got into softball and, like, t-ball and then was pretty competitive in, in softball all growing up until I went to college. And I was a pitcher. Um, you know, they ask, who wants to, to pitch? We need to, somebody to pitch. And I was like, I'll volunteer. I'll go. And so as a byproduct of that, I was involved in every play of the game. I touched – the ball and I was a leader, I started to step into a role of leadership and what, did that, what I thought that meant. And through sports, I think I began to associate leadership with control. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I have been working to consciously untangle those two because what it also taught me was that I didn't trust anybody else right. to get the job done and so i unconsciously would take on all of the burden and i would be like i can handle it i'll just take on more responsibility (laughs) i'll be responsible for you and you and you and me and everybody else Mm -hmm. and it's like the kid in the the group project at school that does the work for everybody you know Mm -hmm. and um and that can also coincide with highly successful people, high functioning people in in the world that get a lot of praise for that type mm-hmm. of attention. And so I've had to really see that those things were linked <gasps> in my mind mm-hmm. and also notice that they're not they're not the same thing.
2: Right. That's it that's actually such a beautiful share because It we don't even know what we're doing when we're raised a particular way, when, for whatever, there's lots of different childhood things that will create, um, codependency, high functioning codependency. And you're right. Listen, none of, this is not a bad thing. Meaning we learned how to get crap done, right? We learned how to say yes to responsibility, to work hard, to problem solve. All of those things are positive. But they come at a cost because there is a hyper vigilance that comes along with feeling responsible for everyone. So I felt that way in my family, even though I'm the youngest of four sisters, but I was the designated oldest child and I felt fully responsible for everyone, my parents and my mother and just everyone. And you know, family systems, there's lots of reasons why these things happen. But when you get to the point of where we're talking now, where we can actually unlearn a bunch of things and re-educate ourselves in a way that does not abandon us, that we are not valuable because of what we do. We are not valuable because of the value we add to the life of others. We are inherently valuable because we are just by virtue of being alive. And I know that a lot of people feel, especially if you are highly codependent, it's like, for me, adding value is like this security blanket where like, I'm so irreplaceable that this mother effer couldn't possibly live without me. So that makes me feel like I won't be rejected, which of course doesn't work, but that is the unconscious sort of thought pattern. So anyone listening who really identifies with this high functioning codependency, First of all, don't feel bad about yourself or about not knowing. It's like healthy boundaries is a language and it's like, you wouldn't feel bad if you weren't fluent in a language no one taught you. You wouldn't be like, what's wrong with me. I must be weak. You would know, oh, I need to learn. I need a great teacher. I need a book. I need tapes. I need something. So I just want you to think about it's perfectly, it's totally possible because I spent two and a half decades of my life researching and putting it all into this book that is a step by step guide, no matter where you are. So I don't think we need to feel bad, but when you're a high functioning codependent and when you have perfectionist tendencies, and when you're very, um, successful, I think it can be very hard to just admit like, wow, i this whole, you know, relationship and relational stuff. I don't really feel like I got it figured out. Like I'm confused. I do not feel satisfied in my relationships or I do not feel known. Cause that is the, one of the hardest side effects of codependency and having disordered boundaries is being in a relationship, but feeling unknown. It's so painful.
1: Yeah feeling alone, even when you have so many people in your life that yeah. love you and want to know you, yeah, you feel misunderstood and alone and unknown. It is, it's it's incredibly painful. And I know I have people that listen to this that can relate and I certainly can. And it's been a process, it is an ongoing process of uh, redefining these things and reclaiming where my worth really comes from. Um, and that I matter not just because I'm significant. I've I've manipulated my significance in their life and made myself important because yeah. I give so much value, but because I'm inherently worthy and valuable as I am. And that is, um, I, I, I say too. You know, we've spent, depending on when you come to this information and this new understanding and awareness, you've spent your entire life, you know, learning. be one way so it will take some time to unlearn that so we have to be gentle and compassionate with ourselves in that process what are you know i hear us talking a lot about this this side of codependency where um somebody is is taking like responsibility for for that person making a big investment into their problems making their problems theirs can you talk about the other side like the other Mm -hmm. side of that person in that relationship are they also codependent and if so does that look different for them
2: well we're talking about overfunctioning and underfunctioning in relationships so you're asking is the underfunctioner yes codependent yes yes because right you need two to tango and and some people's definition would be different some therapists but the reality is if you're underfunctioning that is the other half and what I find mind blowing about over and under functioning is that you could be with someone who is perfectly capable and you, if you are a big over you will literally like infantilize that person when they want to do something. You're like, I got it. I got it. I got it. No problem. No, I'll bring it no, You don't need to pick me up. I'm doing it myself. Before you know it, <laughs> that person is under functioning their ass off and you're resenting them for it. So it's such a, um, it's a dynamic to be very mindful of, and you can also do like you can cycle through over and under functioning in relationships, depending on the relationship. So it's something to think about. Do you, are you not doing things that you can and should be doing for yourself? in your relationships. And what is the cost of that? Because again, then there, there is a cost, which is the control element of someone doing so much. Then you're, you are not just beholden to them because you kind of are, but you are dependent on them. If they're like, oh, I do the food shopping and I do the thing and I do the other thing and the other thing and the other thing. And then you're like, where do we even food shop? If you're the one who's never doing that stuff. So, yes, there there is a dynamic between them, and I think that if you are the overfunctioner generally, it's getting really real about what you're doing, how much of the emotional labor, the actual labor, are you doing in your relationships. And if you're in a uh, a partnership, you can actually go on a whiteboard and write down every single friggin thing that you do and decide how could it be more equitable? Even if you volunteered to do it, we don't have to blame your partner. They didn't make you do it, but you could also pivot right now and have them get the birthday gifts or the end of the year teacher thing or whatever the hell you got to do because those things do not do themselves, right? That toilet paper doesn't just fly up there and put itself on the thing. Like someone is doing that. And I think with emotional labor, it is the undervalued, invisible, unpaid work that usually women do the majority of to keep the ship of our lives afloat. And that is exhausting. And you end up, I see women in their sixth decade of life sometimes in my therapy office where they're just like, Hey man, uh, is this all there is? I'm just curious. Like, is this how I'm supposed to feel? I have a spouse I kind of like, You know my kids are on track money's okay we're good i work out i see my friends but why do i feel empty and you're like because a your family doesn't know you so start there your spouse probably doesn't know you but also we check all these boxes and that doesn't make a satisfying life Mm.
1: yeah and I, i think specifically in romantic relationships it also leads to this like when there's a super high functioning person or maybe you start out pretty even and then as the relationship goes on one steps into that high functioning role and somebody okay i'm going to take the back seat i'm just going to let them do do it their way right because somebody really likes that control then the attraction starts to maybe fade because they're not showing up the way they did (laughs) and also there's this lack of respect. I almost don't respect my partner anymore for their contributions.
2: Especially if you keep making their contributions be less and less and less either through perfectionism because you don't like the way they load the dishwasher. So you just do it. Or, you know, your refrain in life is it's just easier if I do it myself. Just trust me. Nobody's even going to do it the way I want it. And it's just easier. And I'll just, I'll just
1: take it for the team. I'll just take one for the team and I'll do it. Yeah.
2: Right. But the team isn't even asking you to take one for it. So, so our bitterness, you know, think about, you know, we see this stereotypical, like martyr mom, right? Older mom. Who's like, after everything I've done for you, you can't even come home for whatever. Right. Like guilting, manipulating. Now you don't think that that lady started out being like, can't wait to be a martyr. Oh, she did. not It happened through codependency, high or low functioning through emotional manipulation, through self-abandonment. And then we're looking to the other people because when we are giving from a place of fear and emptiness, kind of, because we're afraid to be rejected, even if people are grateful, nobody will be able to be grateful enough because you are not coming from a full place. So there's no amount of accolades or work or people loving you that can fill the place that literally only self-love can fill. So it's important that we understand that self-love is not, it's not an emotion. It's a lifestyle. I mean, it is an emotion, but you know what I mean? Like where people are like, just love yourself more. You're like, hi, man, what does that even mean? And it is evidenced. How much you love and value yourself is evidenced in your daily life, your relationships, your boundaries, how much you speak up, right? How much you tell the truth about something that didn't work for you. Do you let the the rude joke or the misogynistic joke or the comment about your ass? Do you let it slide because you're so afraid or do you go, Bob, do you want me to go to HR? Right. Or if you like Bob, you can say, Hey, Bob. I'd like Not to make a simple request that you stop yeah. commenting on my clothing. I know you think that I should be flattered, but it makes me uncomfortable and I really like you and I really don't want it to ruin our working relationship. Bob. Like you can you can learn in the book I have one of the chapters is just scripts for every imaginable situation. Like if you left a cult, I have a script in there. If you bump into those people in the supermarket like mm-hmm. I was like every situation in life that you could find and there's, you know, sentence starters and sentence stems so that you will have the words because that is a, that's a big part of the problem is you want to say something and you're like, I don't know. I'm so mad. What I'm going to say is going to be too aggressive, too caustic. You start to learn that don't wait so long. Don't wait until you're a volcano early and often. And the more you do it, the easier it gets. And the more you do it, the less you'll be able to believe that you used to not do it because you get to a point where you can't not tell the truth, you know?
1: Right. Well, and I found too in my own life that when I do, people respect me more, right? Of course. As a byproduct, instead of just being a, oh, I'll let it slide or it's fine, right? Um, a mentor of mine says, fine is feelings internally not expressed.
2: So <laughs> oh, That's so right? good.
1: <laughs> so it's fine. It's fine. and almost where we just accept and accommodate their feelings again we don't want to upset them we don't want them to you know our upset or our um how it's making us feel is less important than how it how actually confronting them them about that would make them feel yeah. you know and so we haven't valued our own you know experience enough and maybe this comes from you know not having our feelings validated as children yeah but that to start to to heal that requires us to acknowledge that how we feel matters and that we do need to speak up for ourselves and i know that you talk about you know starting with maybe non-primary relationships Mm -hmm. when you're starting to practice this can you speak to that and the importance of of why you um kind of give people that guidance when they're starting to learn how to express themselves and set boundaries
2: I always say we start with lower priority folks, and this is just life, right? Not everyone can be in the VIP section of your life. There's not enough room. So we have lower priority folks, but there could be people we like or care about could be our hair colorist could be. We start there. If you're getting your hair done and you actually don't like it say, Hey, you know what? I think it's a little dark. Can can we lighten it up instead of, because even that send back the friggin' salad if it's wrong. Most of us don't, if we have the disease to please, we're just like, whatever. I don't want to get her in trouble. It's fine. It's fine. Exactly. And you can send it back. Here's the thing with boundaries and truth telling, you can always do it with kindness. If you so choose, you can also add a little heat. If it makes sense to, you can always do it with love, if that's appropriate. Like if it's someone that you actually love, not your boss. So know that the myths that you've internalized around boundaries, making you bitchy. boundaries mean I'm rejecting people. I'm just all over town saying, no, 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 none of that is true. Oh yeah. I'm selfish. That's huge. If I prioritize my feelings, I'm selfish. That is not true. When we don't prioritize our feelings, we burden the people in our lives. When we don't prioritize our feelings and tell the truth about them, we burden the people because let's talk about it, Tori. How do we express ourselves when we don't do it in words? Let me guess. Hmm.
1: Passive. Anyone? (laughs) Yes.
2: Yes. Passive aggressive, right? It isn't like, you know, uh, Freud talked about our human feelings, like human beings are a pot belly stove. Our feelings are the smoke. So thinking that, not expressing your feelings will make them disappear is like having a potbelly belly stove lit and you stuffing paper down the flue being like, this will take care of it. This will not take care of it. This will make smoke come out every nook and cranny of that potbelly belly stove. And now we don't even know what the hell is going on because it's like our feelings come out sideways. Look at all the, look at all the psychological defense mechanisms that we use displaced aggression, right? We take out what happened at work when we come home because it's too threatening to do it at work. We're super annoyed about traffic, even though we're not, because it was too threatening to talk about what it really was. We slam a door, we roll an eye, we heavy sigh, we're sarcastic because as human beings, we can only talk it out or act it out. Like literally those are our two choices. So know that by stuffing it down, not going away. It's just going to come out in some weird ass way that you're not going to understand why you're reacting the way you are. So knowing yourself is so important. Even if you don't want to talk to that person about it, but being clear within yourself, like, wow, I started being annoyed after I interacted with Betty. Let me think what happened there. Oh, I know why she made like that snide little thing that she does. Yeah. That really pisses me off now. You can go, you know, next time you see her, you know, Betty, I was thinking about our interaction on Wednesday. And I just want to say, I do not appreciate you judging la la la. And I would like to make a simple request that you don't give me your unasked for advice or opinion or whatever, right? We come up with a way, like a proactive boundary success plan, I call it, where we get, we get clear, like, Hey, this is what I'm going to say rather than just hating Betty and talking about her behind her back. Mm -hmm. Right. I can't believe how mean you're being right now. Like I was just having a terrible day. Hey, hey, Betty, you might've been having a terrible day. Me telling you the truth about how I feel is definitely not mean. And you having a bad day. If you need someone to talk to, I'm happy to be that person. If you need someone to take it out on, I am not happy to be that person.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: So that is the, the clarity of, I mean I have I have scripts for every single situation you could find yourself in with parents, what you're a grown up, but your parents can't stop parenting. So they will not relate to you as an adult. Either they give you money when you don't want it, or they are constantly controlling. They're in the middle of your marriage, they're in the middle of your career. There's a very loving way to not let that go on. You are a grown up. And it really is bad for your relationship with them. You want to be loving become a boundary boss. Because even though people fear that boundaries block your relationships, the truth is that boundaries are the bridge to deeper intimacy and more love.
1: Yeah, that's so true. Well, I know those listening are like, I need this in my life. I need the guidance. And you've made it so simple for us by putting it all into this book boundary boss I highly recommend all of you go grab it I know I can't wait to dive into my copy it's gonna be um, it's gonna be truly life-changing for, for those of us who've never had this education we don't get taught these things in school we don't get you know equipped with the skills that we need as we go into adulthood into relationships and this is not just um, something that we need in romantic relationships it's all areas of our life that we can find ourselves being and playing out these codependent behaviors. It's not just something that we find in our dating and and
2: marriage relationships. Oh, absolutely not. I also wanted to tell you, I have created a quiz that's free. It's just, just go to boundaryquiz.com. It's only 13 questions, but there's seven archetypes of, are you like a peacekeeper? Are you more of an ice queen? So when you answer those 13 questions you I actually send you a video of what archetype you are and I really feel like that is a great place to start and if you want to get the book go to boundarybossbook.com because I have all kinds of bonuses still available there because they're awesome and who doesn't want some videos about better boundaries right
1: yeah amazing so we will link all of that in the show notes it's boundarybossquiz.com and um, it's actually
2: boundaryquiz.com
1: Boundaryquiz. boundaryquiz.com and yeah. we'll make sure all of that is in the show notes so you can make it really easy to find that sounds like a fantastic resource i can't wait for for folks to to jump into that you know um When you guys listen to this, and I know that you've found so much value in it, we'd love to hear what it is that you take away and uh, what you're learning. Terry has so many valuable resources, and um, I highly encourage you guys to stay connected with her and all that she's doing. Is there anything else you want to share with our listeners before we end today and how they can continue to get involved with your work?
2: Well, follow me on Instagram, just at Terry Cole. I, I want to just say that you can do this. That it really sometimes seems in life that like everyone else has the power and we feel quite victimized by that. But I promise you, if you are willing to grow, I'm happy to guide you. And you can do this just one baby step at a time and you deserve to be empowered in your life and to be authentically known. You're so unique. You're so beautiful and amazing. We don't want to just go through life placating, you know? So that's what I wanted to say. If you want to, I want you, if you do the quiz, then on, on, um, Instagram, tell me what you got. Tell me what your archetype is. I'm curious.
1: Yes. Take a screenshot, tag us, let us know. We would love to, to follow your journey. And Terry, just thank you. Thank you so much for your work and for sharing with with us. You're welcome back anytime. And, um, we will make sure that, that this gets out to everybody. So thank you.
2: Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it.
1: Until next time, you guys, go be coachable. We'll see you next week on the Coachable Podcast. You guys, if you love this show, do me a favor. Please subscribe to the podcast. And if you feel called, leave a review. I would love to hear how the show is impacting you. But not only that. Be a hero to somebody and share it with somebody in your life that needs to hear it. If you're getting value from it, I can guarantee it that someone else that you know would get value as well. And honestly, I wouldn't be here if somebody didn't share with me a podcast episode a couple years ago that absolutely changed my life and set me on the course that I am today. And I'm eternally grateful for that person. And you can be that person to someone else. So share it. Share the love because... You matter, they matter, and what you have to say matters. So I would love to hear if there's something in this episode that really stands out to you and is a ha aha moment, send me an email to media at ToriGordon.com. Let me know what it was that stuck out to you. What was your aha moment? Maybe where and around what time in the podcast that really spoke to you, because my team and I love to hear that. We love to see and hear exactly what is speaking to your heart and it helps us to serve you better. So please like, subscribe, share. You are helping this podcast continue to grow and get out to larger audiences that can help shape the world and bring more and light, love and healing to it. So thank you for your contribution and let's get on to the podcast.